see the brethren. Amen. Listen, uh, before we get started, um, I'm going to do something a little bit different because there's a number of you that have not purchased the book. And I'm sure there's a number of you that have the book and did not read chapters 3 and 4. So um, I'm going to pass out the questions now as we go through the lesson, kind of answer the questions. Then when we come together, we can discuss why you answered the questions the way you did. So Pastor Ray, would you pass those out now? Is there anyone in here that needs a pen or pencil? Okay. Brother Robert, there's some in the back. Okay. All right. Amen. Hey, Brother Ed, those that did not bring a pen or pencil, would you please usher in the mouth right now? Oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, God is gracious. Amen. Now, if you notice, there's two pages. We're going to concentrate on page one. Page two is personal. Okay, I'll talk about that later. We're going to concentrate on page one. If you can't read the small print, page one is the one of the page that has the lines on it. Okay. All right, we're all set to go. All right, let's open up with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time of worship. This time of praise. And now, Lord, we sit at your feet, ready to, eager to learn and to hear from you. That still small voice of your Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, that we will allow the word to do its work in our hearts. And, Lord, that we become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for the privilege to be called sons and children of the living God. We thank you, Father, for the gift of eternal life through your Son, Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, we pray that our spirits be submissive to your spirit and that you would have your perfect will in each and every one of our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Church said, Amen. Amen. We're going to go back to uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. This is kind of the foundation uh, passage for this book and Jesus came and spoke to them saying all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you and lo I am with you always even to the end of the age Amen. Now, we took a, a look at this verse uh, a couple weeks ago, but there are a couple things I just want to bring out. Number one, this, in original language, is a participle. You say, well, what's a participle? All right. I can tell by expression on your faces. A participle ends in E-D or I-N-G. That means you and I are going to make disciples, or we've already gone to make disciples. It's also an imperative. An imperative is a command. And so this command has been given to everyone. A disciple 
is simply a learner. A disciple of Christ can be defined as a learner of Jesus who accepts the teaching of his master, not only in belief, but in lifestyle. Emphasis added, lifestyle. Jesus never led his disciples to believe that the path to discipleship is easy. He was seeking men and women who would follow him through trials and tribulations in this life. But yet they would continue. He was aiming more for quality than quantity. He did not tone down his requirements in order to gain recruits. Now, just as an introduction to chapters 3 and 4, the author really addresses the standards of discipleship versus the mechanics. So I don't want you to get overwhelmed. The standards are going to be very high and they're pretty much straightforward. Okay, but they are obtainable. Okay, it gives us something to shoot for. In the course of of his teaching ministry, Jesus spoke of three fundamental principles to guide his disciples in their service. Three of them. The first one is the continuance principle. The continuance principle. Second was the love principle. The love principle. And number three, the fruit principle. Again, we're talking about standards. These principles are to be united into the lifestyle of the disciple. They are challenging but realistic disciplines for those who seek to be like their Lord. You notice there was just 12 disciples. Just 12. There's also an encouragement, though. Here's the good news for you and I. There's also an encouragement for those who have failed in this area to step out again. All right? The continuance principle. The word continue is used over a hundred times in the New Testament. It simply means to remain with, to stay, wait on, remain, faithful, or to cleave. In John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, And the truth will set you free. Receiving Jesus' teaching would mark them as genuine disciples. Let me stop right there. Receiving Jesus' teaching. I'm sure you've shared the gospel with family, friends, co-workers, and a lot of them did not receive the teachings of Jesus. And truth be told, a lot of us, when the first time we heard the gospel, we did not receive Jesus' teachings. And where are Jesus' teachings contained? Right here, 66 books. It's called the Bible. Jesus did not wish to break a bruised reed, nor extinguish a smoldering wick of faith. He was not trying to be hard. Okay? But he felt it necessary of making perfectly clear the conditions of discipleship. You see, brethren, there's more than just sharing the gospel. 
the recipient of the gospel, he or she needs to know that there is a cost. There's a cost of being a follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, the world will hate you and I for his name's sake. Being a Christian, we're not going to be popular. There is going to be persecution. There are going to be many trials. But there's hope. In Acts chapter 11, verse 23, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with a purpose of heart that they should what? They should what? Continue with the Lord. This describes believers persevering in their faith in Christ. They had a determined faithfulness to respond to the gospel message. You and I are to continue. The easy part is accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But what happens when the storms come in our life? What happens when trials come? Excuse me, how come you don't go to church? Well, I lost a family member. Well, someone was gossiping about me. Well, this happened. I lost my job, so forth and so on. But God has called you and I, brethren, to continue. In Acts chapter 13, verse 43, Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to what? Continue in the grace of God. It's going to get tough. It's going to get darker out there. To times, the days in which we are living in, it's going to be difficult. But we are to continue because one day we're going to see our Lord face to face. And there's going to be no more sin, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death, no more darkness at all. But in the interim, we are to continue. Acts chapter 14, verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them or encouraging them to what? Continue in the faith. And saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 16 says, Take heed to yourself and the doctrine, continue in doing them. Uh-oh. Oh, it cut off. I'm sorry, I'm not a Mac user. But uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 16, Paul encourages Timothy to take heed to yourself in the doctrine and continue in them, for in doing so you will save, I think is yourself. And what was the latter part of that verse? Does anyone know? 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 16, I think in your souls. Save both yourself and your and who? And those who hear you. Thank you, brother. Oh, there it is right there. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both your 
yourself and those who hear you. Now, that word save, Paul's not talking about salvation. He's talking about keeping you close to Jesus. Second principle, the love principle. The love principle. John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you. First person. That you and me love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The disciples, the learners were to be were to have the same principles of life Jesus demonstrated. So what do you mean? Well, in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, the Bible says, but God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ sets the standard He's the one that we look up to. By following his principles and examples, the disciples were able not only to love one another, but to love their enemies. The world, those that are lost, those that do not know Jesus, will know that we are Christians based on how we treat one another. See, it's not always opening our mouths. The word love in original language, brethren, is a verb. It's an action. Those of us who claim to be Christians on the job, you know what? The moment we identify ourselves as a Christian, people are watching us. They're going to watch how we respond when the boss tells us to do something that, hey, be frank, just to be honest, that we really don't like to do. They watch how we respond when the paychecks are passed out. Oh, and by the way, yours is a little bit short, or we made a mistake. They watch how when someone treats us wrong or unfairly, how are we going to respond? They will know we are Christians by our love. Jesus Christ raises the bar once more by stating not only we are to love each other, but we are to love our enemies as well. Why? Because God has made it clear his love to us and that when we were still sinners, Christ gave his life for us. In Luke chapter 6, verse 32, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even the sinners love those who love them. So really, we have two standards here. Number one, we are to love one another. The second one is, we are to love our enemies. And there's no way humanly possible that we can love our enemy in the flesh. You have to have the Holy Spirit to love your enemy. There's no way. Because the moment we encounter that man or woman... We see them coming down the aisle, immediately go into prayer. Lord, help me. Help me hold my tongue. Please, Lord, that I do not say something that will blaspheme your name. You can't do this in the flesh, brother. You have to stay on your knees. And if you are a Christian, 
You have enemies. May not be a person. Don't forget, Satan's out to trip us up as well. So our refuge and strength is not in ourselves, but in Jesus Christ. How did Jesus express his love? He's the example. He's the one that you and I are to be following. A, he was this is selfless love. Jesus' love, Jesus' love was entirely impartial and unselfish. Impartial and unselfish. That's how we are to interact with one another. Impartial and unselfish. Listen, I'll be the first one to admit, it's easy to fellowship with those that are like-minded. Those of you that have the same hobbies, you eat the same type of food, you like the same type of programs, etc. That is easy to do. But what about that brother or sister that maybe, you know what, rubs you the wrong way? Or what about those that are sick and shut in? Or what about the elderly? Or those that have disabled, you know, disabilities? What about those that cannot communicate with social media networks or cell phones or texts? You and I are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. You and I are the vehicles that he's going to use to evangelize this lost and darkened world. And the motivation is love. Selfless. What does that word mean? Putting other people's needs, interests, or wishes before your own. I'll say it again. How did Jesus express this love? It was selfless. Putting other people's needs, interests, or wishes before your own. Brethren, you need the Holy Spirit to do that. Because by nature, by nature, my nature as well, it's me, myself, and I. It's me, myself, and I. It's me, myself, and I. <laughs> Amen. Somebody. Okay. Amen. So, we need the Holy Spirit to counter this flesh. Remember, we're still in these fallen bodies. So, by nature, it's all about me. It's all about myself. And I. That's how we just define the word pride. Me, myself, and I. What else? Jesus, how did Jesus express his love? It was a forgiving love, although he was doubted. Jesus was denied. He was betrayed. Jesus was forsaken. The Lord's love was not quenched. He said, and he made it personal, as I have loved you. How was that love demonstrated? He bore our sins. He died on the cross for you and I. And the scripture said, says that he died for all of mankind. The word A-L-L means universal, means everyone. Not just for our family members, not just for our co-workers, but everyone. That's love. 
forgiving. What does this mean? Forgiving. First, it signifies the remission of the punishment due to sinful conduct. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The deliverance of the sinner from the penalty divinely and righteously imposed. Secondly, it involves the complete removal of the cause of the offense. The moment you and I accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, in exchange we received the gift of eternal life. God's wrath no longer abides over us. The remission is based upon the mediated and propitiatory, that's a big word, means to satisfy or appease the sacrifice of Christ. Jesus expressed his love by being selfish and forgiving. Last one. It was a sacrificial love. His service was always at a cost to himself. There was no limit to the sacrifices he was prepared to make. The word agape means unconditional. Unconditional love towards you and I. That's how Jesus expressed his love. Third principle. John chapter 15, verses 7 and 8. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. A mark of a disciple is bearing fruit. What creates the fruit of which our Lord spoke? It is impaired in two areas. Number one, fruit in character. Fruit in character. A tree is known by its fruit. The disciple is recognized by his likeness to Christ's inward character. Remember, the Lord looks at the heart, he looks at the inside. Man looks on the exterior. The fruit of the Spirit working in our lives is expressed in nine graces. Now, let's take a moment here. That's page two. Now, I want you to fill this, not tonight, but you take it home and fill it out because it's kind of personal. Okay, it says, rate yourself on a scale from one to five. One is the lowest, five is the highest, okay? This is the fruit that the Lord is looking for. Number one, your genuine love for others. <laughs> okay? We just talked about that. Number two, deep abiding joy. Do you have the joy of the Lord? You know, as a uh, greeter sometimes, you know, I recognize not everyone has the joy of the Lord. Hey, praise the Lord. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. It's okay. There's some coffee. <laughs> the joy. Do you have joy? Are you always, hey, it's a great day. What's so good about it? <laughs> Number three, peace in your life. Again, this is personal. Do you have peace in your life? Or is it almost... 
Is it always turmoil and drama and issues? I mean, that should be the exception and not the rule, okay? We all have a little bit of drama right here, you know, here and there. But that shouldn't be 24-7. Number four, and I listen, I, I struggle with these as well, okay? I'm not trying to, you know, be super spiritual up here because, believe me, I have a few ones. Uh, number four, are you patient with people? Oh, well, okay. Patience. Are you patient with your wives? Or your wife-to-be? Your boys, the girls, sons, daughters, in-laws, outlaws, <laughs> neighbors. God knows. Number five. And again, these are just basics. Kindness towards others. How do you treat other people? How do I treat other people? Number six, goodness in character. Number seven, faithful to Christ and others. Notice, faithful to Christ first and others. Number eight, an attitude of gentleness. Are you kind? Are you a kind person? Number nine, self-control in situations. Again, you need the Holy Spirit. You need it, especially when you're dealing with your enemies. Self-control, especially if you have teenagers. You need self-control. For a living, I teach. I'm a teacher. I have 130 teenagers. have to have a lot of self-control because I have a button just like you do and if that button is pushed I really got to go into a state of prayer and sometimes my students will push my button but I have to recognize first of all I am a Christian I can't be going off like some of the other teachers do okay we have to maintain and if we're not careful We'll say something and we'll regret it. And what's really bad, and that is if someone else is watching. And then see over at the water cooler, they say, yeah, did you hear so-and-so? He says he's a Christian. I heard him say blankety-blank-blankety-blank. And it's all over Facebook, you know, and it just goes. <laughs> there goes your testimony. That's all, listen, it's spiritual warfare. That's all the enemy wants to do. He wants to ruin our testimony because if our testimony is squashed, guess what? The gospel's not going to go forth. Satan doesn't care. You can be a Christian. I can be a Christian and be ineffective. Satan, his objective is to hinder the gospel. <laughs> That's why James warns us about controlling this little thing between our jaws. Because it can make us or break us. So we need to be prayed up. And we, be, we need to be mindful of who we're learning and who we represent. And number 10, Christ-like conduct. Number 11, share the gospel freely. When's the last time you shared the gospel? 
goes back to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 19. That is an imperative. That is a command. They say, well, I'm not called to be a missionary. No. It doesn't say that. That's taken out of context. You and I have been commanded to share the good news. Number 12, actively, actively minister to others. When we come together, the sole purpose is to edify one another, to encourage one another in the faith. That's one of the purposes of the church. Number 13, a heart full of praise to God. Every time we come together, there's a, a worship service prior to the delivering of the message. Do you praise the Lord? Obviously, I mean, I'm not picking on anyone. If you come in after worship is over, well, you just missed out. And number 14, desire to be a fruitful Christian. See, the good news, listen, God is not trying to be hard on us. He says, okay, this is the standard. If we've fallen short, that's okay. Just regroup. Okay, Lord, thank you for revealing this unto me. I need to make some adjustments in my life. That should be every time we come together. So, wow, okay, Lord, you really minister to me. It's not enough for you and I to agree with the word. To have an intellectual affirmation, you know what, preacher, that's, you know, that's right on. You know, that's good. But somehow, some way, it has to make it from here, between our ears, to the heart. It has to be put into action. Okay, so you can do that on your own. Let's continue. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. We just saw this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Fruit and service. John chapter 4, verses 35 through 36. Do you not say, there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Fruit and service. In context, this is not talking about or dressing, serving, as in exercising your spiritual gift here in the church. The fruit seen in this passage, Christ is talking about when souls are one for Christ. Discipled by concerned disciples and led on to spiritual maturity. We're talking about sharing the good news. The fruit bearing that is in fruit bearing is an authentic mark of discipleship. It is not automatic, but conditional. And I might add, making disciples is one thing to be a disciple. It's another to make a disciple. It's a lot of work, but it's a joyful work. You're, it's almost like you're mentoring. Someone that's young in the faith. But you know what? It is a blessing 
the Lord's allowed me to mentor a lot of young men and to see them go on, you know, uh, live fruitful lives, get married, work in the ministry. I mean, it's just awesome to see God work. His plan works. You and I are to have an impact on other brothers that are young in the Lord. We should have an impact in their lives. Not so much, again, I could be guilty, of talking. But it's the other ING word, walking. The mentors that God has placed in my life, I watch how they interact with the Lord. I don't look for their imperfections or their shortcomings. I watch how God uses them. And that in turn impacts my life, which in turn impacts other people's lives. This takes time. It takes a lot of patience. But it's a joy to see those that, you know, you've taken everything that God has taught you and you've poured it into their lives and to see those young men develop into godly spiritual men. And Lord knows that right now in this age, there's a tremendous shortage of godly men. And especially leaders, specifically leaders in the church. God has put a tremendous responsibility on us, brother. He's called us to be leaders in the church, to be leaders at home, on the job. It's a tremendous responsibility. But it's not difficult. It can be attained if we just simply submit to the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 4. The test of discipleship. The test. Now, this is not my test, okay? I didn't write the Bible. This is the Lord's test. I have to take the same test you do, okay? Chapter 4, the test of discipleship. There's a cost for being a follower of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. The test of discipleship. Am I a learner of Jesus Christ? Am I, am I a follower of Jesus Christ? Am I changing daily in my walk? Am I drawing closer to the Lord? One of my prayers, you know, if I don't, if I'm just rushing, you know, and we all rush from time to time, Lord, help me to know Thy will. A closer walk with. Thee. That's all I desire, to know you more. Lord, that you will allow this word to conform my mind to the image of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 9, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in. And birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. Verse 59, he said to another person, come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, the but word, B-U-T, but he said, Lord, first 
Let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty, look at this, brethren, your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. That is why God called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is God, that is the reason why God created us. Right now, Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne, right hand of the Father. His work is finished, but ours is not. Verse 61, and another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Some stern words. Jesus Christ said this himself. Once again, he's not trying to squash our zeal for the Lord. Don't interpret it that way. What he is presenting here is a standard that you and I have been called to. We're not supposed to be just running around, you know, doing this, doing that, aimlessly. We have a purpose. Why has God created us? First and foremost, to glorify Him. How do we do that? By living lives that are holy and pleasing and acceptable unto Him. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And most importantly, being obedient. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Jesus presented the path to discipleship under the figure of, or an example of plowing a field and straight channel in which there was to be no deviation. Everyone who becomes a disciple of Christ, by that action, puts his hand to the plow. And he doesn't look back. I know there's a passage somewhere in there in the Bible that says it's like a dog returning to its vomit. Like pigs wallowing in the mire after you and I have tasted the goodness of God. What can be compared to the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross? His grace, His mercy, and His love. There's nothing in that world, no person, no thing that can be compared what He has done for you and I. Nothing. In Luke chapter 9, verse 57, anyone who puts, his, puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Can't be a disciple. Remember Lot's wife? God told him, Lot and his wife, do not look back. Flee the city. Do not look back. They got, she got half of it right. They fled the city. But what did she do? She looked back. And as a result, she was judged. People say, oh wow, God is really, really hard. No, God did not judge her because she physically looked back. That's not why he judged her. He judged her because her heart was still there in Sodom. She missed the things and the vices that took place in Sodom. 
And so therefore God judged her. There are many, brethren, there are many influences to tempt a person to look back. We all would agree. Three of these appear from this passage. Three of them. Number one, impulse. The impulse volunteer. What does it mean to be impulsive? To be impulsive means thoughtless. In other words, we didn't pray about it. Spontaneous, hasty, having a tendency to act on sudden urges or desires. I call it a knee-jerk reaction. I'll go. Sure. Number two, the reluctant recruit. What does it mean to be reluctant? Feeling or showing no willingness or passion to do something. And number three, the half-hearted volunteer. Half-hearted means with little enthusiasm and no will and no real interest in the result. Lord help the church if we're like this. In America is on a path downward spiritually and morally. Every second someone is passing from this life to the next one. How many have heard the gospel? Let's talk about the impulse of volunteer. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew human nature. No one needed to tell him what mankind is really like. I'm sorry, I don't have the chapter there. But anyway, impulsive. Let's talk about that. Thoughtless, spontaneous, hasty. Jesus discerned that while his applicant was genuine, it was sincere, he was not ready for service. He saw that enthusiasm would likely to evaporate in times of testing. You know, that's a powerful passage. I, if you look at this again, it says, because of miraculous signs, many began to trust him. These disciples trusted him. But look at verse 24. But Jesus didn't trust them. I said, wow. A person can actually trust in Jesus, but Jesus doesn't trust them. You know why? Because their motive is wrong. They came to the cross. They believed the gospel because of the signs that he performed. The motivation was wrong. It's talked about the reluctant recruit. Matthew chapter 8 verse 21. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. The reluctant, again, is a feeling or showing no willingness or enthusiasm to do something. Jesus said to the first volunteer, come and follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. This was the excuse of the first candidate when Jesus remember when he first called his disciples he said three words come and follow me and then he kept moving some of them he just said two words 
follow me. And he kept moving. He didn't give any explanation. He just said, follow me. They dropped their nets. They gave up their business, their family practice. And you know what they did? They followed. Goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Abraham. Abraham. Three words. Here am I. That's it. Follow. Faith is the conviction of the things not seen. When God calls you and I to a work, He doesn't have to tell us why. But instead, we should feel privileged that He would even use us for a work. In fact, it's a blessing. Isn't it a blessing to be used by God? That's awesome. Don't you all want to be used by God? No one wants to be put on the shelf. We want to be used by God, not by the enemy. Why? You know why? Because souls hang in the balance. The second one, the reluctant recruit, responded to the Lord's call, follow me, but his response held a reservation. You know what that reservation was? One word. Look at it. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 21. Me. Me. There it is. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. We all have an excuse not to do something. Myself included. However, to be a disciple, brother, it can't be any excuses. My mother had ten children, or has ten children. And one of her mottos as we were growing up, and it stuck with me to this day, two words, no excuses. No excuses. I remember joining the military, spent ten years We didn't use the word can't. The word can't means won't. Now, brethren, these are earthly masters. These are earthly people. How much more should we give our allegiance, undivided allegiance, unquestionable allegiance, to the one who's done it all? The one who has paid it all? The reluctant recruit. Luke chapter 14, verse 33, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. The first step of discipleship was a willingness to forsake all. Second is a test of urgency. When he calls us, he calls us today, right now. He says, Barney, I want you to go talk to that person right now. I want you to talk to that, per- that neighbor right now. The first man was too fast. The second volunteer was too slow. To him, discipleship was a matter of only secondary importance. To see first the kingdom and his righteousness means to turn to God first for help. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. There it is. But see first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God first 
for help. To fill your thoughts with His desires, to take His character for your pattern, and to serve and obey Him in everything. In everything. And you know, brethren, we serve the Lord, we follow the Lord, we listen to the Lord, once again, not because it's a command, not because it is written so much, even though it is, but because we want to. You want to make the Lord, you want to bless the Lord. How? By serving, by submitting. You want to please the Lord. It should be something in our hearts. It's not like on the job, you know what? Hey, you need to fill it, you know, finish this work before you go home. Oh, you know, it's not a drag. It's a joy. It's a blessing to serve. It's exciting. Being a Christian is not dull. It's not boring. If you're in His will. And number three, the half-hearted volunteer. Luke chapter 9, verse 61 through 62. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. First candidate was too fast, hasty. The second was too slow. And the third was too soft. His limited commitment had the word what? But. Yeah, Lord, I'll go, but. (laughs) I'll serve, but. Like the response of his predecessor, it had a threatening. Look at it closely. Look at the verse closely. Verse closely. Me. You see it? Yes, Lord, I will follow you first, but let me. (laughs) Why you call me Lord and do not the things I say. (laughs) Just me, myself, and I. That's why. Just me, myself, and I. See, brethren, if we're honest, and we're not, okay, we like to blame the devil. Yeah, Satan made me do it. Satan's not thinking about you. That was you. Just be honest. You wanted it, and you did it. (laughs) Want to blame the world. When Adam and Eve ate off that tree, it was a choice. Satan did not hold a firearm to their head, said, eat it. It was a choice. Brethren, you and I, when we leave here, we have a choice where to go. We have a choice what we're going to read. We have a choice what we're going to watch. We have a choice what we're going to listen to. We got a choice whether to live for the Lord or live for the world. It is a choice. But rest assured, the decisions you and I make today will have consequences, either good or bad, down the road. I'm talking 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. Consequences. Consequence is not a bad word. Just like the word attitude is not a bad word. We can have a good attitude or a positive attitude. We can have favorable consequences or negative consequences. The decisions we make, not the world, 
Not the enemy, not our wives, our spouses, girlfriends, niños, niñas, boss. The decisions you and I make have consequences. The good news, God will extend his grace and his mercy and love and forgive us. Praise God for that. That he will not blot us out in the Lamb's Book of Life. However, however, he does not remove the consequences of our sin. We have to file that. I have to live with consequences of my rebellion and my sin. You have to live with yours. But that's okay. He will empower us. He will strengthen us to go through the fire. But he won't take it out. So be encouraged. In closing, Matthew chapter 28, verses 8 through 14. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests, but... When the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Verse 13, then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 14, for many are called. But few are chosen. Many are called. Few are chosen. Since those who were invited have rejected the invitation, i.e. the gospel, opportunity to attend was then given to a broader group. That was you and I, the Gentiles. Israel rejected Christ in verses 1 through 7 as a nation. So he extended that invitation to you and I. Thank God for that. Though the invitation was extended to both good and bad, and we were all bad, okay, individual preparation was still necessary. This was evidenced by the fact that one guest at the banquet had not made adequate preparation. He was not wearing the proper wedding clothes. There is a inward and outward response to call to Jesus Christ. The inward is accepting Jesus on his terms. We must worship the Lord in spirit and truth. The outward in this case was the wedding garment. He didn't have it, therefore he was cut off. So again, don't be discouraged. But be encouraged. This is the standard, and we've all fallen short, but that's okay. Now we have something to aim for. And that is a discipler, a learner of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy, your grace, and your love. Your word says you will never leave us nor forsake us. 
And Lord, we know that whatever you ask us to do, whatever you commanded us to do, Lord, we know it's for our spiritual benefit. We know that there is a blessing that awaits us. Father, I pray for each and every one of us that by the washing and renewing of the word, Father, that we would become more and more like you, more like your son, Jesus Christ. And your commandments are not burdensome. They're not grievous. But Lord, it's a joy. It is a joy. Your, your commandments are wonderful. Your precepts, they are alive. Lord, we welcome your truth in our lives. So Father, I pray that you would continue to speak to us, Father, individually and collectively as a group. And that you bless our time of fellowship together in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. All right. We need to break up into groups of five or six.